welcome once again to episode number four of Bill Kay's Cockeyed Caravan, coming to you direct from the cozy confines of my movie studio apartment, ensconced comfortably here in the Wood of the Holly under the sign. I'm Bill Kalmanson, and another important day as the cavalcade of comedy seems to keep parading right in front of us, uh, most notably yesterday uh, in Helsinki. Uh, where I think the PVP put on one of his most extraordinary but least surprising performances of his storied career. Uh, Least surprising because, unlike Nixon and some of the other great uh, prevaricators of our time, this guy, in spite of the fact that he has no connection to the truth, either in his perception or what he says, he's as devoid uh, from anything that's real as any used car salesman in southeast Pacoima. But in his own way, he's painfully honest because his behavior is not hidden. It's in full display for anybody. You needn't be... Uh, you don't need a Ph.D. in psychology to observe this guy in his full imbecility uh you don't he's not nixon whose uh, every step was covered and was massively calculating this is an impulsive bumbling imbecile a billionaire brat boy who in his own way in his own brazenness he's, he's just so brazen and his, his lack of any kind of um ability to obscure his tracks that's that's actually his trick things are just out there so obvious that you don't even notice them. I've, I've often reminded of, you know, the, the horror, the, the, the Germans, they couldn't face the fact of what was staring them right in the face, namely the Holocaust. And this guy is so brazen, he lays it out in front of us, and it's almost, it's almost too difficult to even conceive. We can't process this, but there it is right in front of our face. Someone said to me, you know, when we're talking about the whole Russian thing, is, you know, it's time to just start connecting the dots <laughs> and i said well uh, you know i don't i don't think that's really necessary and, and well why why is it necessary we need to connect the dots i go it's not necessary because the dots are packed so closely together they're just so fucking many dots that the picture is right there in front of us there's no need to connect there's no need to color in there's no need to outline or fill blanks there are no blanks there are so many dots the picture is as vivid as a Surratt pointillistic painting I mean you can if you've two eyes in the front of your head uh, you can see this picture and it doesn't need any explaining or any dot connecting and there it is and I, I've said this before I'll say it again to me it's as simple as this if you own a um, a dry cleaning store on the corner in Little Italy, and you take a loan from Don Corleone, uh, guess what? You're washing Don Corleone's clothes for the rest of your life. And for me, that's been almost, well, so painfully obvious right from just the beginning of this ordeal, uh, because there's no logic to it beyond that. You can't explain this 180-degree reversal in American policy and perception towards the great Russian bear if there isn't some sort of intervening uh, control. And it's obvious that um, the PVP, Putin's vice president, was, you know, the, 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 the beneficiary of a lot of money laundering and free money. Just like, you know, I'm reminded back, was it in the 80s when, uh, you know, the junk bonds 
became available and the Drexel scandal. It helped people like Steve Wynn. And what it did is it made available huge amounts of capital or cash to people that otherwise couldn't get it. And it allowed for a... Um, just a whole slew of new fortunes that emerged out of out of that sort of slush fund. Eventually, you know, Milliken went to jail, and there was um, illegality. But it was found money for people that couldn't get it. And similarly, so Russian oligarchical money was found money for people that couldn't ordinarily get it through banks or. Uh, you know, institutions that were subject to regulation. So the billionaire brat boy stumbled into uh, this whole, uh, you know, tar pit of, of new wealth that he could capitalize and maintain his membership in the Billionaire's Boys Club. And accordingly, about a year ago, I wrote a short story that I wanted to share with you. And maybe it reads better than it uh, reads. By that, I mean, if I read it out loud, it'll have more meaning. And I was trying to in my own way, uh, offer an explanation which was not coming out as these first dots were beginning to be thrown onto the canvas, and we were trying to understand what the hell is going on here. And it seemed to me even then that it was obvious, that there wasn't really, um, that the behavior was clear, and that maybe with a short story I could offer some clarity to what the news really couldn't, Offer at that time. Now I think the news has <laughs> caught up with the, 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 my fictional account, but nonetheless, I wanted to share it with you, and I'll read it, and hopefully I can get through it without too much difficulty. It is called the Bitumen Boss of Uzbekistan, and it goes as follows: Bitumen is a gooey, viscous material found naturally in the earth. It is sticky and smelly and black, and when combined with gravel under heat and pressure, it amalgamates into the perfect material for roads and highways. So essential is bitumen that without it, smooth vehicular traffic as we know it would be well-nigh impossible. Bitumen is a key export of Uzbekistan. Landlocked in Central Asia on the southern flank of Mother Russia, bitumen occurs there in abundance and is exported into Russia and from Russia to the world. With the breakup of the Soviet Empire, the formerly nationalized industries fell very quickly into very private hands. The private hands into whose grasp fell the Uzbek bitumen bonanza were those of one Grigor Stuptyshtenko, an obscure mining engineer from the Uzbek village of Zarafshan. Grigor Stuptyshtenko was in the right place at the right time. In 1992, the Uzbek economy was in free fall. Worldwide demand for bitumen had collapsed and the Zarafshan bitumen mine into which Grigor Stuptyshtenko's grandfather, father, and all his uncles had given the best years of their lives was abandoned. The mine lay there naked to the sun, a tar-black scar upon the Zarafshan landscape. The next part of the story is sketchy, but the following facts are clear. Grigor Stuptyshtenko won the Zarafshan bitumen mining concession in an arm wrestling match. The match was refereed by a mid-level KGB agent. The match was fierce. Scimitars were drawn and samovars were hurled. But ultimately, this referee awarded the Zarafshan bitumen mining concession to Grigor Stuptyshtenko. Fearful for his life, that mid-level KGB agent who officiated the arm wrestling match fled Zarafshan and was not to be seen in Uzbekistan for a very long time. 
Shortly thereafter, worldwide demand for bitumen rebounded and then skyrocketed, and the ambitious, and some say murderous, Grigor Stuftestenko expanded his mining operations into northwest Uzbekistan and then southeast Uzbekistan, and finally, when that obscure mid-level KGB agent somehow became president of all Russia, Grigor Stuftestenko became bitumen boss of all Uzbekistan and then most miraculously, bitumen boss of all Russia. In the intervening decades, life was very good for Grigor Stuptestenko. With a fortune measured not in millions, but billions, Grigor Stuptestenko bought houses and boats and airplanes. He married the favorite daughter of Zarfshan's mayor. He fathered a daughter with a hair lip, which is considered a rare sign of beauty in the Zarafshani region of Uzbekistan. And inexplicably, Grigor Stuptestenko developed an all-consuming, some say insane passion for the American sport of bowling. So consuming was his passion for bowling that Grigor Stuptestenko purchased a Boeing 747 and had its interior fitted with a fully functional bowling alley. Conspicuously, the bowling pins and bowling balls were crafted from fire-hardened bitumen, which created a niche bitumen ancillary market. Even more conspicuously, Grigor Stuptestenko hired a handful of very attractive Siberian pole dancers to crew his bowling 747. They faithfully attended to his needs and those needs of Grigor's very privileged guests. Among those very privileged guests and the recognized favorite of the Siberian pole dancers was that mid-level KGB agent, now president of all Russia. With the bitumen business booming, Grigor Stuptestenko jetted across the globe from bowling tournament to bowling tournament. Scorecards show Grigor made more than a dozen visits to the Bowling Hall of Fame in Reno, Nevada. He hosted airborne bowling tournaments, and on one occasion, Grigor Stuptestenko bowled a perfect 300 while completely naked at an altitude of 35,000 feet. This is a record that stands to this day, and according to most bowling experts, will never be broken. Shortly after Grigor Stuptestenko set his in-flight nude bowling record, he fathered a son, also with a hair lip, with the most lovely of his Siberian pole dancers, one Ekaterina Danilovich Upskaya. Ekaterina Danilovich Upskaya was one of ten children from the central Siberian village of Petropavi, just a small dot on an immense tundra landscape. Petropavi would be completely unknown, but for the singular fact that Petropavi produced the vodka that Rasputin used to poison Tsar Nicholas. But uh, I digress. That's another tale for another time. Thus begins the relevant portion of the story. Grigor Stuptestenko was in a fix. The love that he felt for Ekaterina Danilovichupskaya burned with a white-hot passion. He wanted a divorce, and he needed it fast. More importantly, he was determined to keep all his billions from his soon-to-be ex-wife, the daughter of the mayor of Zarafshan. His newborn son with Ekaterina Danilovichupskaya would be his sole and rightful heir. The divorce was a battle royal of the highest order. First, 
firstly, it uh, what did it do? It divided the citizens of Zarevshan. More than one brawl broke out between the Grigorskis and the followers of the infuriated mayor, the Mayorskis. Soon Grigorskis and Mayorskis battled across all Uzbekistan. Shtuptishtenko mines across Uzbekistan were vandalized. Bitumen miners in Zarevshan went on strike. Civil war was imminent. Imminent. And Grigor Shtiptashtenko needed help, and he knew where to get it. Russian military advisors were called in until finally, as they always do, passions cooled. Mayorskis were imprisoned and executed, and peace was blessedly restored. Soon thereafter, during an in-flight nude bowling tournament, the former mid-level KGB agent, now president of Russia, kindly introduced Grigor Stuptishtenko to a fellow billionaire who could perhaps be of service. The billionaire banker kindly offered to introduce Grigor to some of his favored contacts who would surely be pleased to help the embattled bitumen boss bury his billions. After all, he joked, billionaires are honor-bound to help our brother billionaires. This was a lesson. Grigor would never forget. Sometimes the fates of nations turn on the most trifling of incidents. The killing of a minor duke ignited the catastrophe that became World War I. During that war, a French grenade fell into the lap of a terrified Bavarian corporal. The French grenade failed to explode, and 20 years later, said Bavarian corporal led Germany into the catastrophe that became World War II. And so... Perhaps the fate of the United States of America turned when Grigor Stuptestenko accidentally met a Portuguese dairy farmer from the Central Valley of California. Now, on the face of things, Grigor Stuptestenko did what he always does when he's stressed. He bowled, this time at the International Bowling Hall of Fame in Reno, Nevada. From darkness to daylight, and then back into darkness, the Uzbek billionaire bowled game after grueling game, strike after spare, spare after strike. Finally, when his left arm was about to fall off, he was a southpaw. Grigor Stuptishtenko accidentally bounced his personally engraved bitumen bowling ball into the adjacent lane. The lane was occupied by the aforementioned Portuguese dairy farmer from the Central Valley of California, who, it just so happens, was also a backbench member of the United States House of Representatives from a district within Central California. When the personally engraved bitumen bowling ball rolled up and out of the mouth of the bowling ball return hood, the Portuguese dairy farmer obligingly returned said bowling ball back to its Uzbek owner. With the aid of Grigor's personal interpreter, a conversation was struck. Drinks were shared, and their friendship began. Shortly thereafter, they retreated to Mr. Stuptestenko's hotel suite. As of this writing, the content of what was transacted between the Portuguese dairy farmer and Grigor Stuptestenko remains uncorroborated. But this much is known. The worldwide price of bitumen suffered a precipitous but only momentary downturn. Grigor Stuptestenko diversified and expanded his bitumen business to include bauxite, beryllium, and borax. Grigor Stuptestenko made numerous real estate investments in southern Florida brokered through an offshore bank located on the island nation of Cyprus. The president of that bank recently became the current United States Secretary of Commerce. The partner in said real estate deals is believed to be or to have been a cash-poor and debt-high brother billionaire 
cryptically referred to in documents as DT. The backbench congressman quickly rose to become chairman of the all-powerful Intelligence Committee in the United States House of Representatives. And the former Mrs. Stuptishtenko received a divorce settlement of 18,112,500 Uzbekistani som, the equivalent of 5,000 U.S. dollars. This is a developing story. As events get stickier, gooier, and more bituminous, uh, updates will be provided. Further notes. Bitumen was originally used as a birth control device for female camels as they caravaned across Central Asia on the Silk Road to China. In rural areas of Russia, bitumen is still used as a denture adhesive and as a folk remedy for pleurisy. A Hollywood stagehand claimed on his deathbed that Al Jolson used bitumen as blackface when he filmed The Jazz Singer. This has never been confirmed, though Jolson's personal physician, Dr. Hyman Rothberger, claimed that Jolson died of bitumen poisoning. Curiously, Dr. Rothberger never included it in his autopsy report. Bitumen bowling balls, known as the Gagorski, are no longer available on the open market. Bill Kalmanson, April 1, 2017. And there it is, folks, uh, my reading of a short story I wrote, The Bitumen Boss of Uzbekistan. I'm hopeful that in some small way it sheds uh, light on the truth that is unfolding before us. Uh, I don't think this story is as needed as it once was because the, uh, you know, fact is indeed uh, bolder than fiction. But I thought when I wrote it that sometimes we need a little fiction to illuminate the facts. And hence, I wrote this story, The Bitumen Boss of Uzbekistan. And I don't know, to me it rings a little bit, it rings more poignant after yesterday's uh, adventure in Helsinki. I couldn't help but think about when Kennedy met Khrushchev, and he was at that time a young president, and it was his first major test on on the international stage, and he had to confront the big bully Russian, the big bear, um, and he was criticized. Uh, he, he suffered for that. The perception was that he couldn't stand up to him and that he had let the United States down. Uh, I think he later redeemed himself uh, quite memorably during the Korean, uh, rather not the Korean, <laughs> the Cuban Missile Crisis, and um, uh, what other you know, in other great summits where one leader was humiliated by the other, and the world paid the price. Of course, you know, most glaringly in my mind is Neville Chamberlain when he went to Munich and confronted the Russia, uh, the German Chancellor in the name of Adolf Hitler and came back and famously proclaimed to the world that we would have peace in our time and that he had brokered a deal. But that dissolved quickly and the world descended into the catastrophe uh, that became World War II. And I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not in the geopolitics. I'm, I'm a comedian. I like to think, find things that are funny. But I wouldn't want to be sitting in one of those Baltic states today after uh, the PVP... Uh, kiss the ring of the Russian bear uh, because at the same time that he did that, he's definitely thrown a monkey wrench into the alliance that is NATO and I would think that uh, Putin would feel emboldened now to take another swipe of uh, real estate across the Baltic corridor so it's all scary um, it's interesting to see some of these Republicans uh, some of these enablers of uh, the current uh, PVP now beginning to shout out and say this is wrong and it's not right. A little late to the party, I might add. But, you know, this could be the, the beginning of the end because 
you know, I liken it to the the breaking of a dam. The water can seep and curdle around the edges, and the ground around it can get moist. But then when it finally breaks through, it gushes out in earthquake-like force, and before you know it, it's a different world. So uh, that's a possibility, and that's the... <laughs> it never ends, you know, this... Uh, you know, it used to be where I thought, well, you know, Obama was a nightmare, you know, if you were a comedian. Because, you know, the guy never made a false move. He, you know, he never took a bribe, never never boinked an intern. But this new guy, he delivers a care package every fucking day, and it's getting wearisome. And I think it's already exceeded the boundaries of comedy. I don't think it's that funny anymore. Um, but... If we're going to preserve free speech, then my mantra is speak freely. And that's what I'm doing here from the cozy confines of my movie studio apartment. And if there's one truth that I've learned in this little exercise of mine is that my need to express far outweighs anybody's desire to hear me. And if you're one of those select few uh, that manages to carve out some time to listen to me, I am forever in your debt. And with that thought, I will be signing off episode number four of Bill K's Cockeyed Caravan, signing off.